Y'all can be seated. Kids, make your way to Children's Church. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you want to get there, we're in week 3 of a series that we are calling Real Talk. I haven't said this the whole time, but, you know, I don't know if you know, but the, the younger generation, they're called Gen Z now, which we, we're not very creative with how we name generations, but whatever. They're called Gen Z, and they have a lot of sayings that they think are new and original, um, and it's funny because most of the, exactly, most of them I said in middle school, um, and then now they've just made a comeback, but one of them is real talk. When they're wanting to get serious, they say real talk. Real talk, and they think they came up with that, and it's really cute. And I just, and I just smile at them because I love them so much. Uh, but that's the idea of, of behind what we're talking about. Like it's time for real talk. We're ta- we're tackling things that aren't easy to talk about. Today we're talking about generosity, on a day that we have a lot of visitors. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, and I and I've told you this before. I used to be really uncomfortable talking about generosity, about giving, about money, those types of things. Um, And it's not that it's not still a hard subject, it is, but I'm not uncomfortable with it anymore because it's so important. I'm not asking you, at no point this morning am I going to ask you to give money so that I can have more money. Now, if that were the case, then I should be uncomfortable because that's wrong. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being generous, having a generous heart uh, and open hands and, and being who Jesus has called us to be. So as we dig into this today, I don't want anyone to have any inclination that I'm asking you to give more to this church so that I can personally benefit. No thank you. Uh, that is not what we're doing. Uh, you are a generous, loving church, and you take good care of us as a staff, and we appreciate that. So that's not where this is coming from. It's not it at all. It's just an important issue. It's talked about over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. Jesus talked about it. The only thing he talked about it more was more than money was hell. That's it. That's the list. And so it's an important issue because it determines a lot of where, about our heart posture and, where, and what we do. So that's the, that's the heart behind it. That's, I think, why God is leading me to talk about it. Um, even though, like I said, it's definitely not my favorite thing to talk about. It's just important. So we're going to be talking, looking at... Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you're there, say I'm there. I haven't done that in a long time. It's good to hear you talk back to me. Here we go, starting in verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of this, of of life that is real. Excuse me, of life that is real. Father, I come to you today, Lord, and I pray that you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would manifest and be present here, God. That you would work in our hearts today. That you would work in the hearts of those who are watching through the camera or later on, Lord. That you would just do what only you can do, God. And uh, pray that you would, Give us all the desire to be known as a generous person, a generous follower of Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. So, sit down. You need to hear this one. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Why is Paul talking about this to Timothy? Okay, this is a letter, just like you we write. Well, just like we used to write letters back in the day. You write a letter from one person to another. Paul is writing this letter for a purpose, and you always have to keep that in mind when you're reading, especially New Testament scriptures. The, the, the last half of the New Testament is what we call the letters or the epistles. It's letters either to a church or to an individual. This is an, a letter from an individual Paul to an individual Timothy. Now, he knows that Timothy is going to use this and address the church with it, so there are times where he talks to everyone, but he is talking to Timothy. Why is he talking about this towards the end of his letter to Timothy? What, what is the motivation here? What is the problem with the church in Ephesus, which is where Timothy is the, is the pastor when he receives this letter from Paul? He is pastoring the churches of Ephesus. What, 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 is, what, is, what is the church at Ephesus dealing with that Pastor Timothy needs to preach against or, or, or make it or make it known that it is not okay or, or that this is the proper way for us to live as followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, those are all motivations that are going into this, but why is Paul specifically talking about this here? We'll back up a few verses and pick that up and pick up the context of where we are, uh, where we started this morning. And it's, it says here, teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches, this is chapter 6, verse 2, for those of you who have your word open. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. Continuing, from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. Who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. So if you come back to the beginning of this chapter, and obviously we, we as human beings have added the chapters and verses... So the letter didn't have chapters and verses. We've done that to make it easy to go find things. But if you back up to where, where Paul is starting this subject in the letter, uh, what is Timothy battling in Ephesus? The same thing that is so prevalent in the prosperity gospel preaching churches in America today. It's a prevailing mindset in many people that say they follow Jesus. And that is this. If I say I follow God and I behave in certain ways, then God is going to bless me with money and material stuff because I'm special and I'm following Jesus better than you are. And if you would just have more faith or the right kind of faith and you would do this magic formula of faith that you, you, would, uh, that you obviously aren't doing, then you too would be blessed like me, wealthy and well-off like me. But instead, you're doing it, you aren't doing it right, so you aren't. God must love me more than you. Sorry for your bad luck. They don't say it that way, but that's what it says. That's what the prosperity gospel says, and that's what the false teachers in and around the church at Ephesus were trying to do. They were trying to use God for material gain. 
It's the same thing. That's, what, that's why Paul is broaching this subject. It's, it has to do with false teachers, people who stand and say they're speaking in the name of God, but they're really just trying to line their pockets. And it's a terrible, terrible, evil thing that was happening then and is still happening now. To them, a show of godliness, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. They, they think religion is a way to make a fast buck. They equate the worship of God with making great sums of money. This is dangerous, it is heretical, it is anti-scriptural, it is superstitious, it is junk. It's false teachers, it's false teaching coming from false teachers. Wolves in sheep's clothing, and they make Jesus want to puke. And they have one whale of a reckoning coming on judgment day if they don't repent of their wicked ways before it's too late. What Paul's trying to get the point across to Timothy, and it's the same thing nowadays that we, you know, wow, the Lord must love them. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Like their amount of wealth has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. It says, from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, but at the end of that, those verses there, but godliness with contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says we have a we have a prophet that is greater than theirs. Theirs being the false teachers. Theirs that, that are only worried about material gain. We, that prophet is true worship of God. Real needs fulfilled by Jesus. We have what we need and we know it's enough. That's what Paul is saying. We have contentment. We have Jesus and we know that is enough. And if you know you have enough then you're content, and you live with a content heart. And the way that you conduct yourself is completely different than the, someone with, with greed or wanting to make great gain. That, the, the word there for contentment is uh, autarkias, contentment, autarkias, a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed, sufficiency of the necessities of life, a mind contented with its lot. This is the point Paul is trying to drive home here at the end of his first letter to Timothy. Teach them that relying on God for their needs and for us today, relying on God for our needs and worshiping him simply for who he is and for the salvation that he brings is enough. It is what you need and it is all that you need. He then goes into some pretty deep, excuse me, and often misused verses here next, verses on money. He's trying to drive home the point that these false teachers will stop at nothing to gain money because they, that's really all that they are actually after. And so if you go on to verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have, have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. But those who want to be rich fall into the temptation, fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 7 here is a combination of, of quotings from the Old Testament. Job 121, Psalm 49, 17, Ecclesiastes 5, 15. Well, we came into this world with nothing and we leave them with nothing. You've heard the saying a million times, I ain't never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You know, I, I know people that have been buried in their Cadillacs, but that Cadillac didn't go with them. 
You came into this life with nothing, and you'll leave with nothing. As always, Paul is drawing on the truth that is known from God's word to make his point, and his point, and his point isn't to make, it isn't his to make, but it's God's point to make because it's coming from God's word. And then verse 8, if you literally read verse 8, it's food and covering. The word is covering. So the word can mean clothing and or shelter, which is really all we need if you think about it. All you have to have in this life to survive is food, clothing, and shelter. Food, clothing, and shelter. That's the point he's trying to make. Now, real quick side note. Paul is not saying that in order to follow Jesus properly, you have to be a pauper. He's not saying that you have to sell everything you have and, and, and live on nothing. He may ask you to do that. He did ask someone to do that in the New Testament, but it was to show his heart that he was greedy, that he didn't know how to live with contentment. But he's, this, is, this, this gets misconstrued as, well, to follow Jesus, then you have to just be poor and destitute and have nothing and just trust him uh, to, to, to have your food and clothing and not to work. And just, that's not it. That, if you keep Scripture in its context, that's not it. We're called to work. We're called to save. We're called to build for the future. We're called to do a lot of things like that. But his point is, Anything past food, shelter, and clothing is a bonus. It's a bonus. <laughs> Mickey Morris taught me that a long time ago. Son, I'm your dad, and I owe you food in your belly, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head. Everything after that's a privilege, and you can lose it. Huh. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Dad. Got you. So he's not saying anything past this is wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's saying anything past these necessities is a luxury gift to be enjoyed and shared, but it's not a result from godliness. That's the point he's trying to make home, trying to drop home. That the, the blessings that we receive is not necessarily from living a godly life. Have you, have you stopped lately and just given thanks for the hot water that comes out of your shower head? I mean, what a luxury. For... 50 years, if you go back 50 years, and then for the rest of human history, that hadn't existed on a regular basis. And we just absolutely take that for granted. It's an absolute humongous luxury. The miracle of flipping on a switch and a light coming on, what a time to be alive. The many, many, many riches and luxuries in the first world that we so easily take for granted, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be taking them for granted. And then he gets to verse 9. There where we are. But those that have not contentment, only an eye for the lack. Those who have no gratitude, only greed. They are foolish people who cause harm and destruction and ruin in their lives and those around them. The word there, they plunge people into ruin and destruction. Plunge. That Greek word is to, to, to sink, to plunge into the deep. And by implication, causing all those around you to drown. The greed. This, this desiring to be rich is like being on a boat of people and being, and being the reason that the boat begins to take on water and more and more and more until it sinks, sinks down deep into the water, taking all who are on it with it to its inevitable end. That's the implication of that word there, to plunge. Wiersbe says, instead of giving satisfaction, riches create additional lusts and desires, and these must be satisfied. Instead of providing help and health, an excess of material things hurts and wounds. And why is this? Because why is always a good question to ask. That's why two-year-olds do it, because they're trying to learn and figure things out. Why? Verse 10, the next slide. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. There's all different sorts of evil ways that the love of money comes alive to hurt and harm in our world. Greed knows no bounds. It's an endless abyss. A black, deep pit with no bottom. Now, it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. That is not what this scripture says. I've preached on this before. I'm going to harp on it just for a quick second. It's not saying that money is wrong. Money is an inanimate object. Money only does what you and I make it do. Money's only gained or lost by what you and I do. It's, it's not the money that's the problem. The love of money is the root of all different kinds of evil. It's a different thing. It's, a, it's avarice, which is an old English word that we don't use anymore. That's a really cool word. A-V-A-R-I-C-E. Here comes the nerd in me. It means an insatiable desire for gain. I've never met one person who has an insatiable desire for gain that is ever content. You would never meet someone like that and say, that person is so full of joy. I've, I've used this before with the youth. I, I heard Tom Brady after winning the seventh Super Bowl. The only thing I could think about after winning my seventh Super Bowl was, can I win another? It, it, can, it can help you. It can help you achieve things in this life, <laughs> but at what cost? One of the most beautiful women in the world is what it cost him. His family, being with his kids every day. That just kind of came out. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Sir Fred Catherwood, he was a British politician in the 1900s, said this, Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. That's what a heart that is greedy and that is not generous and that is unwilling to share, that's what it says. All that matters is this life because it's all I got. So I'm going to get as much as I can get while I can get it, and if it hurts you, then so be it. This is all I got. We don't live like that as followers of Jesus. We have an eternal mindset. We know that this life is a, and that eternity is forever. That everything we do in this life is a sacrifice and an investment into eternity. That's how you can do it. That's how you can, that's how you can give things away. It, first of all, it ain't yours in the first place. We are never owners of anything. We're just stewards. We just get it for a short amount of time. And then somebody else has it after us. Whatever it is. Next slide. So it's philagoria is the Greek word. Philagoria. Philae being the love of, like Philadelphia, that's why it's the city of brotherly love, because in Greek it literally means brotherly love. And that's the first part of that word. And then argoros being, literally means silver or shiny money. The love of that shiny, shimmering money. If I can just have enough. If I can just have a little more. Get a little more. Keep a little more. Then I'll be satisfied. Next slide. And by craving it, this is one word in the Greek. Oregami. It means to stretch out after. 
What a, what a word picture. To stretch out after. To stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something. To reach out after or desiring something. So figuratively, it means to set your heart on something. To strive for it. To aspire to it. To desire. And it's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. It's not always used in a negative context. But here, it definitely is. What, what, is, what is this like? This craving for more and more and more. It's the businessman that is so determined to make more and to be more that he neglects his family while convincing, convincing himself he's doing it for them, even though it's really about his own insecurity and his own ego, and, it ends up, and he ends up with a family that resents him and wants nothing to do with him or his money. That, that's what this is. It's the gambler who keeps going and going and going and going, knowing that that next one will bring the big one. It'll hit, and it'll bring the big one, it'll, and it'll supply what I need, and I'll finally have it all, all I need. And in the process, he loses his dignity, and he loses his friends, and maybe his job, and maybe his home, and on and on it goes because it's an insatiable desire to just reach and grab just a little more. It's the housewife that has to have a new furniture set. I'm not saying you're wrong if you bought a new furniture set. It's not what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. My point is, it's the housewife that has to have a new furniture set, and then everything will be set. Then my life will be complete if I could just have this thing this way. But soon that loses its luster, and you need another one, or you need something else, and then you need something else. And, and well, 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 we'll just cut back on... This is going to hurt. And we'll just cut back on our tithe this month to make it work so we can get that furniture set. Or maybe we even just skip it for just for a month. Just for a month, Lord. I really need this new furniture set. We'll just skip it for a month. And then it's two. And then it's three. And then it's on and on. And the reaching and the grasping continues. The pimp sells drugs and sex. This is what this is. The pimp that sells drugs and sex, exploiting women and exploiting the poor and vulnerable in order to accumulate more stuff so you can have nicer clothes and nicer cars. Exploiting those who are most vulnerable in this world so you can have more stuff. And the evil abounds and abounds and abounds and abounds. This, this is the bitter woman that's jealous of her neighbors and all they have. And she becomes bitter about her life. She becomes bitter about what she doesn't have. She snaps at her children. She snaps at her husband. Doing this on the regular makes everyone around her miserable, all because the Joneses and the Smiths have more of those than this. At what cost are you striving and reaching for more? Is it worth it? This is the picture that Paul's painting. He's, he's painting it of the false teachers that use the, the veil of godliness in religion. What a lot of people sitting in pews in American churches do. They're using the veil of godliness and religion, but are really just reaching and stretching for every single little shiny coin they can grasp, regardless of who it crushes in the process. Paul then goes on to say, you, Timothy, you, Timothy, you, man of God, run away from that stuff. Run away from these things. Chase after God and his ways. Chase after faith and love and endurance and gentleness after the good stuff. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. You can do it. 
Don't let the false teachers overcome you. Don't let them overcome your flock. Fight for the faith and grab a hold of eternal life, real, lasting life in Jesus. Godliness with contentment. Godliness with true satisfaction deep in your soul. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing a human being that can sit there and express true contentment. It just radiates out of them. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus is worth it. Timothy, he's worth it. He's worth it. You confessed him as Lord and Savior. You were right to do so. Keep going. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. The, one who has, the only one who has mortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see him. To him be the honor, and to him be eternal might. Amen. That's how Paul finishes out that little section. And then that leads us back to where we started today. So now I'll get started. I'm just kidding. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So with all that in mind, he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. Catch that? Timothy, tell those who have been given wealth in the present not to think they're to be praised for gaining wealth. Risby says it like this. If wealth, if wealth makes a person proud, then he understands neither himself nor his wealth. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. Or Deuteronomy 8.18 says it this way. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. Everything you have in this life is a gift. Wealth always brings with it the possibility, the possible danger, excuse me, of arrogance and false security. That's what the point Paul is making here. With wealth comes the danger of becoming arrogant or falsely secure in that wealth. Excuse me. And the Lord knew that uh, when he told Israel after 40 years of wandering in the desert, 40 years of wandering around the desert, and they're finally going to get to go into the promised land, this land with milk and honey and everything that you could possibly dream of. And then he warns them in Deuteronomy 8 on the next slide. He says this, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, that's what all life is, and when you, your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's given them a warning be careful, this is your natural inclination. This is, this is what your sin nature does. When you get a lot of stuff, all of a sudden you think you're somebody. And you forget that I was the one that gave it to you in the first place. I allowed you to have that in the first place, is what God is trying to say. Next slide. It says then, so that's arrogance, and then to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Don't set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. It's transient. It remains in place for a brief time. It's not something to be trusted. The B.C. says it like this. A person who depends on material things for peace and assurance will never be satisfied. For material things have a way of losing their appeal. That new car smell wears off after a while. That's why they sell air fresheners that smell like new cars. If that doesn't describe the sin nature, I don't know what else does. It's just never enough. It's not. It won't ever be enough. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not security. We should trust and hope and live for the giver, not the gift. I'll say that again. Somebody got an X account, Twitter account? 
we should trust and hope and live for the giver, not for the gift. But on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. We have one hope, Jesus. He made all things right and new. He gives eternal life now and forever. He puts you in right standing before God the Father, nothing else. This God, that God, richly provides us with all things to enjoy. He's not a killjoy, you see. He's not a killjoy. Did you catch that? God wants you to enjoy things. It literally says that right there. He gives things for us to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with having good things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. Enjoy them for the beautiful gifts that they are and share them with others and use them for God's glory. He wants you to enjoy things. He's not saying be a pleasure junkie seeking to fulfill all the desires of the flesh. This isn't saying be a memory-making monger that your chief goal in life is to make memories by going and doing and experiencing everything in the world. That's not what it means. It just means enjoy the blessings God gives you and give him the glory he deserves for them. As Gus says, like a nice glass of buttermilk. Just enjoy the little things in life. It doesn't have to be anything big. And with the idea that God richly provides us with the things to enjoy is the next slide. With that idea in mind, he supplies what things to enjoy, so instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share. Do what is good. Do what is good. Do what is good. We have three, we have three core characteristics as this church. We try to put them on everything that we do. Sincere service and sacrifice. It's all things that we do. Do what is good. And specifically in this case, in this case, in this case, by being rich. Not in wealth, but being rich in good works. It's a cool little wordplay that Paul does right there. And even more specifically, by being a generous person. I've got a question to ask, and it may hurt. Are you considered to be a generous person? Do the people around you consider you to be a generous person? person I have another question are you a follower of Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus people around you should consider you a generous person that's what he's called us to be if that's not true then why not Jesus said if, here's what Jesus said here's how generous Jesus expects us to be if someone asks you to go a mile with him then go too. He said, if someone wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let them have your coat as well. Woo! I know that one hurt. It hurts me. I don't like that. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to uh, borrow from you. Is Jesus saying be taken advantage of? Not really. But kind of. But not really. Taken advantage of the way we consider it to be taken advantage of. But what he's saying is, you've you got to understand, everything you give away is just an investment in, into eternity. Everything you give back is an investment into eternity. You're not really giving it away. You get to enjoy it forever. He's saying be generous. Be radically generous. Change the world with your generosity and with your kindness, not with your might and with your sword. It doesn't work. And then he finishes there. Storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. To receive, you must be willing to give all you have. To live fully, you must die to yourself. 
to be content. You don't need more. You need to be learned to be satisfied with as little as possible. To be secure, you don't look to wealth and possessions, but trust God who richly provides all things to enjoy. I know it's against our natural inclination. That's why it took God for it to change. So what are some practical things for us to do? How, how can we become generous like Jesus? Well, first of all, you need to know him as Savior. That's the first step. If, you, if you've never submitted your life to, to the God of this universe that gave his life so that you can know him forever, then you need to do that. But even if you haven't, you can still do this. You can still try God out. You can still see if, he, if he's right. Try him out. First thing you need to do is prayer. That's the first step. Shocker, I know. Preacher talking about you need to pray first. I know, it's hard to believe. Speaking of prayer, we have prayer in here at 9.35 a.m. every Sunday morning. And I think when we get as serious about standing around and talking to each other in prayer on Sunday mornings, I think we'll see God move. That was for free. First step is to ask God for a generous heart. That you gotta, you gotta, he got to let God change you. A heart that wants to be a cheerful giver. A heart that wants to give, wants to generously sow so that there can be a generous harvest to reap. We have to have Jesus-submitted hearts that daily dies to the will of God. Pray for a generous heart. Pray for wisdom. Pray that God gives you the wisdom and the knowledge to plan and be able to, to, to have more so you can be more generous. Pray that he will give you the opportunities to display the generosity to others for his glory and watch him kick open the doors. When you pray for opportunities to be generous, watch God answer that prayer in unbelievable ways. It'll come like this. She needs $1,000. That's how it comes. And we usually go, ah, that's weird. Ah, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Ah, that'll probably offend them. Ah, eh, we ah away all of God's blessings. Pray for him to give you opportunities to be generous, and you'll get them. Second thing is planning. We pray for a changed heart, and with that heart, we make a plan. Here's the key to giving, to being generous when it comes to your finances. Are you ready? The number one key when you're planning, start with giving. Dave Ramsey 101. If you try to plan it all out and then give what's left, you'll never have anything to give. But if you start with giving, you'll never lack for what you need. I have lived it in my own personal life. I have lived it in my own personal life. I had five $100 bills show up one time in my life. I have no idea where it came from. I have no idea who did it. I have no idea why they did it. All I know is that I had to have it, and I didn't tell a soul about it because I was embarrassed. I prayed. Last thing is put it into practice. You got you to pray about it. You got to plan to do it. Start with being generous. Figure out a way, start with something, and then plan for that something to grow, and then put it into practice. Do it. Actually, do it. Almost done. Get ready to be mad. <laughs> Don't, when it comes to putting it in practice, don't desire the things of this life so much that in order to get them, you have to cut back on being generous. Don't, don't make the house so big that your generosity drops. 
Don't, don't buy the car so nice that your generosity drops. Don't go on so many vacations that your generosity drops. God, God gives us things to enjoy. Enjoy them. But we have to be known for being generous over all that other stuff. When's the last time that you sacrificed? And I mean literally sacrificed in giving. Here's something I want, but instead I'm going to do this. Literally sacrifice it. Not have, not do, not be, whatever this is. And give instead. If it's been a while, then it needs to happen soon. Imagine Imagine a local church that was full, chocked full of Jesus' generous followers. Not 25% full, not 50% full, not 90% full. And we've got a lot of generous people in this church. And I don't mean because they're wealthy. I mean people that sacrificially give. We have a lot of people that do that. But imagine a church that is 100% full of people that sacrificially give for the kingdom of God. Imagine the lives that we reach. Imagine the things that we can do. Imagine what God can do with a church that does that. I don't think we can describe it. I think it would turn the world upside down. I don't know where you fall in this today, and I'm not trying to bag on anybody because I've been as bad in this subject at times in my life as anybody here. Trust me. That skip the tithe part was me. I did that. Twelve years ago. And financially, my world almost fell apart afterwards. I'm not saying God did that. I'm just saying my heart did that. But the majority of my life, giving has been a priority. And when giving's been a priority, I've never not had what I needed, ever. It's almost like God delivers on his word. <laughs> I'll, I'll pray for us. We'll finish with this song, and then we'll finish with one baptism. Or more, if you want to get baptized this morning, you can get baptized in the clothes you're wearing. Father God, thank you for who you are. <laughs> God, thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Lord, I don't want a message like this to tear us down. I don't want it to beat us up. I want it to spur us on. I want, it to, I want it to get under our skin a little bit and make us examine ourselves like you call us to do. Examine our hearts and examine our lives. Lord, help us to find ways to be generous with, with the finances you've given us, with the, the material blessings you've given us, with, with the homes you've given us, with the things you've given us, with our time, with our energy. Lord, make us into generous people. Give us hearts that desire to be generous people. Make us a church that is known for being full of people that are Jesus generous in their lives, God. Lord, most of all, thank you for the generous gift that you gave us to change our eternity. That we can know you for eternal life, God. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for Jesus your son on the cross. 
Thank you for the empty tomb that proves you conquered sin and conquered death. Thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.